Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report Premium Podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I am doing pretty well. This is going to be a little bit of a different podcast, uh, but before we get into the podcast, we're going to just tell you about a couple of podcasts that are already out on the platform about they're going to be preview podcasts. We're going to have one of them that is a free podcast that is going through statistical stats throughout our prediction is going to lead those statistical categories. It'll go all throughout any stats that you can think of throughout the season. And it'll be our predictions for ASU's record for the upcoming season, which will include three different records. It'll be the ceiling, the floor, and our expected record. And we'll talk about what we think they need to do to reach the ceiling and what we think will need to happen for them to fall down to their floor. There's also a premium preview podcast that goes in depth on everything you need to know about the roster for ASU. It goes through every single position. So if you want to get a little bit more in-depth coverage of the roster and preview season, make sure to subscribe and get that premium content for that podcast. But to the podcast at hand for right now, we're going to have a special guest, and we are super excited to announce this, but Trey Anderson is going to be joining us on today's podcast. He is currently a sales director at Wheels Up, which is a private jet charter company that allows members to book short and medium range private charter flights at an all-inclusive hourly rate. Trey played quarterback in high school. He led Pearland to a 16-0 undefeated record and to his Class 5A Division one. As a senior, he was a walk-on at Pitt in 2011 when Todd Graham coincidentally was the head coach and impressed enough to earn a scholarship. He then joined in 2016 at ASU when the program was coached by Todd Graham. He was a defense quality control assistant. He then became a defensive graduate assistant in 2017 with Phil Bennett as the coordinator. And then in 2018, he stayed on during transition from Todd Graham to Herm Edwards, he became a quarterback's grad assistant coach under Rob Likens. And he continued to work with offense in 2019 with Rob Likens, which was Jaden's first season at ASU, his freshman year. And then in 2020, he continued when Zach Hill became offensive coordinator but was then a quarterback's assistant. And then in 2021, when ASU had three coaches suspended, Trey was promoted to be the quarterback's coach, which meant he worked directly with Zach Hill and Jaden Daniels during that season. From there, he chose to leave coaching and has been at Wheels Up since May of this year. We're super excited to have someone of Trey's expertise on the podcast. So without further ado, welcome to the Sun Devil Source podcast, Trey. Thanks for having me, man. That was kind of you with my playing career. I just like to say I peaked early. I just leave it at that. Pe- peaked in high school, and then uh, uh, that was that was the peak. Trey, you didn't get you didn't get enough opportunities in college. Come on, man. man. Who's, to, who's to say if you had been if you had been given more opportunities, you wouldn't have done the same thing? Yeah, I, I was I was I was stuck behind Tom Savage, who played in the NFL for for a good a good portion. Right. So I, I blame it on that. I say, hey, man, I got, I got stuck behind an NFL guy. But in reality, I, would, I just wish I was a little better. Well, at least you peaked somewhere. It's definitely Austin to win a state <laughs> championship. I'm sure you remember that to the end. But Chris, we do have an announcement about Trey and just kind of involvement with Sun Devil Source. So I'll let you take that away. Yeah. So first of all, super excited, as you said, to have Trey on the podcast. Um, based upon the rundown that you just gave, it's, it's pretty clear that he has as much sort of institutional insight and perspective on ASU over the last six or seven years as anyone uh, that we could possibly have on. 
bridging the Todd Graham to uh, Herm Edwards eras and uh, talking about the quarterback play of Manny Wilkins, Jane Daniels, um, and even kind of an understanding of what's currently on the roster. And Trey's also going to be doing some work for us throughout the season, um, some preview type content that looks at matchups and uh, what ASU can look forward to on a given week against opponents. And then also a review of games that will include some video uh, content that will incorporate kind of a coach's perspective on um, you know, what, how uh, the offense performed on a given week and what, you know, what they saw against the defense of ASU's opponent and quarterback play with Emory Jones. And so all that stuff's going to be extremely valuable and informative for our audience. I'm sure they'll soak it up and um, feel very fortunate that Trey was willing to do this with us. Should be a lot of fun in today's podcast. Of course, if it's not obvious, we're going to pick Trey's brain a little bit about his time at ASU and, and talk about just what he's seen from his perspective. We're going to talk about everything in the Herm Edwards era. We're specifically going to talk about the quarterback section and Jaden Daniels. We'll then get into the current team and just talk about new offensive coordinator Glenn Thomas and new quarterback Emory Jones, who, to be clear, Trey hasn't worked with yet, but Emory Jones joined ASU after spring ball this season. We'll get his insight get to the current team and Herm Edwards eras and everything like that. We just want to talk about Trey first. So Trey, talk about your roots with the team. Just give us kind of an overview of your early years in Tempe, how you ended up on the staff with Todd Graham and just kind of how you've continued through that transition with Herm Edwards and just your role throughout that time. Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, um, Todd Graham signed me to Pitt, uh, his one year at Pitt there. And, um, you know, so I, I, I played four years at Pitt, uh, finished up at Florida International in 2015, um, and then really had plans to join Paul Christ, um, who I'd played for at Pitt, who was uh, moved on to Wisconsin. So I was going to join the, the staff at Wisconsin, and um, some things just kind of fell through. I, I ended up moving back home to, to Pearland and was actually working at a Mexican restaurant for, <laughs> for about four months, uh, you know, emailing coaches, calling coaches, trying to trying to get on somewhere. And um, it was funny because I hadn't talked to Todd Graham since he left Pitt, you know, I mean, so I hadn't talked to him in, I mean, a little over four years. And, you know, I was like, you know what, it couldn't hurt to give him a call, you know, and just and just see what happens. And uh, so I pick up the phone and uh, he answers and, and we just start talking and, you know, start reminiscing on on that season. And, and it was a crazy year. Um, but, uh, you know, so just enjoying some laughs there. And then, um, you know, he ended up. He said they didn't have anything on offense, but uh, had kind of a, an intern type role uh, on defense at, at ASU. And, you know, obviously he was like, you know, it might not be something you're interested in long term, but at least get you in the door. You know, it gives you an opportunity and, um, you know, could, could, again, just get you in the door. And um, so I took it and, you know, I, I got uh, got to Tempe in the summer of 2016 um again basically as like a you know they call it a management intern role I mean making very minimal money and just you know you're just trying to be a sponge you know and and um it was funny I was, I was joking with Cartman is my first year really I was kind of the signal stealer if you will I know that's that's been uh, well documented throughout the years but uh so that was kind of my role my freshman year and um so when teams would huddle that was my off week um but uh <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so, you know, kind of did that my first year um, and then was fortunate enough to, to be a defensive graduate assistant under Phil Bennett, 
who I'd kind of known when he was at Baylor, you know, he recruited my area uh, in Houston when he was there. So we were a little familiar that, uh, you know, dating back to, to my high school playing days. And um, again, was fortunate enough to, to, to stick on with him and, and really was the only graduate assistant um, on defense. You know, usually you have two and two and uh, they had three on offense that year. And so I was the lone graduate assistant, which I, I joke with my fiance, I lost about 10 years off my life that year. Uh, I don't know if I slept a whole lot, but I will say that I learned so much football uh, through that, you know, because you're forced to learn the back end with the secondary, learn, you know, learn the front end and the run fits. And I mean, so from a, an information standpoint, man, it was an awesome year, uh, just of, of growth, you know, and then being able to learn the game from a guy like Phil, who's been around forever. Um, you know, and so then obviously the following year, uh, you know, staff gets fired. Um, and so I'm kind of thinking like, man, I might move back to Houston and coach high school ball. Um, and then Rob Likens, uh, anyone who knows Rob knows his energy and, you know, he, he comes walking through the door, <laughs> and, you know, fires the door open and he, Hey man, what are you doing? And, uh, and, you know, he thought I was a defensive guy, you know, I mean, again, cause I'm on the defensive staff. And so really doesn't know a whole lot about my background. And, uh, so we get to talking, have about an hour conversation. I kind of tell him my background and, and my, uh, you know, excitement to get on the offensive side of the ball at some point. And uh, so he offers me the, the quarterback grad assistant job right there, and uh, which was awesome. I mean, I was able to, you know, really be a big part of the quarterback room because Rob had been a, a receiver guy in the past. And so kind of leaned on me in a lot of ways, um, you know, with just some of the quarterback mechanics and, and drills and, you know, just some of those on the field things that uh, was really a great learning opportunity for me. And he, he was incredible, um, you know, and then obviously moving into an analyst role uh, for, for a few years and then. Uh, transitioning into the, the new Herm area uh, era. And um, so, no, it's, it's been awesome, man. It's, it, it's so funny as, you know, I was at ASU for six years and, it, you know, you think of when somebody has been at one school for six years, you think like stagnant and, you know, and you kind of, you know, one thing, but as anyone knows, as an ASU fan, there's been so much turnover that it was such a great learning opportunity. You know, I mean, you think about some of the coaches that have been through that program with, you know, obviously, Mike, I played for Mike Norvell at Pitt, but then, you know, Chip Lindsey, Billy, Billy Napier, Jay Norvell, uh, you know, Rob Likens, Phil Ben. I mean, you just the the list of of really good football coaches to to come through there, um, and so just kind of you know to be able to see how they go about their business, you know, on a day to day, and um, and really just trying to be a sponge, you know, and soak up as much information as possible. And so it's it was, you know, obviously a very hectic six years, but but. Uh, awesome in terms of growth and be able to see two com completely polar opposite ways of doing things, but, but good, good to both, you know, good, good and bad, you know? And um, so it was, it was a really good experience and uh, excited to take the next step here and, and join my guy Carp and the crew and uh, you know, see, see, see where it could go. I got a question now, Trey. So when you work with um, Norvell, who in my mind was like about as, user-friendly for quarterbacks as you're probably going to be able to get, especially at that stage where he was at. Um, and then you progress from there to go through several other uh, offensive coordinators who become head coaches uh, just in a very short amount of time. What was that like? What were some of the main sort of things that you took from that and that sort of evolved your perspective on um, what's really, what are really the, the most fundamental things for being able to be successful with that offense at the college level? 
Yeah, I you know I think the the interesting thing, like you said, Mike Norvell, who's you know it's all up tempo, you know, speed, just play fast, um, you know, and then a guy like Billy Napier or Zach Hill, it's very you know detailed, articulate. We can slow it down, um, you know, and have kill packages, and you know, so in terms of schematics, there's so many different ways to do it. Uh, but I think the thing I realized the the common theme. Uh, with, within all the great coaches is they're unbelievable communicators. You know, it, it's to me, that was the separator between a, a lot of okay coaches and the guys you, you'd leave staff meetings going, holy crap. I mean, this, this guy's, you know, people believe in him, you know, and I think that was, that's the thing in college, man. If you can get your group of guys, 18 to 22 year old guys to buy into what you're doing and truly believe in it, I truly think whether you're running the the up tempo no huddle or the huddle kill package, you know whatever it is, um, if they buy into it and and they believe in you and you're a great communicator and there's there's a clear mission and where we're going, um, you know I, I think it can work. But but that was the biggest thing I took away from guys like Mike Norvell, Billy Napier, and some of those you know really good coaches is, is the ability to communicate. Well, what about the the individual tailoring to what a quarterback does well? or maybe doesn't do well because you know, obviously you have some coaches who they want to do their, their stuff, right? But maybe their stuff doesn't work as well with who their best quarterback is. Um, it, how much of that, how much of a challenge is that? Uh, I mean, it, it would seem like maybe it doesn't matter how advanced your offense is if your quarterback can't do it, or you have, you're just from a personnel standpoint are not going to be able to do it. Um, you know, like Rob Likens, it seemed like, you know, I, I'm, I'm friends with him. He would not probably uh, take any issue with me saying this, but he wanted to strip things down so that everybody could do it at a high level, what, what was being asked, right? And then other coaches, um, like a Zach Hill, um, they're like, let's figure out what is the absolute best way to exploit this opponent's weaknesses. And yet you may or may not be able to do that with the players that you have on hand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was funny. I was with Kurt Warner like a month ago and we were just talking ball and and he he actually made a great point of when he was in the NFL, he realized that he couldn't overanalyze pre-snap, you know, like that's just not his deal. And the offensive coordinator, the system was, hey, we have to have an answer for every coverage and and you've got to re redirect the protections to get us in the perfect play. And he got to a point where he was like, it just slows me down, you know, I mean, like the whole paralysis by analysis theory, you know, and, um, and it's true. I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's the challenge of coaching is that, you know, every year you're going to have different personnel and you've got to adapt and, and find the strengths of your guys. And um, so it is, it is a challenge. And, um, you know, I, I again, I, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I think I have all the answers because, because I don't. And, you know, there was plenty of things last year I could have done better. Um you know, but but you you're right. I mean, there's there's definitely um, you know, like Zach was very regimented in the Boise State way. Um, and that served them well, you know, because you had guys like Kellen Moore, Brett Ripian, I mean, you know, you had some really high-level processors, you know, that that, yep. could, that could be successful in that system. Um, you know, and um, so you know, and I'm sure we'll get around to it, but a guy like Jaden, you know, when you have the simple pre-snap and just play fast that that helps a guy like Jaden and a guy like Kurt, you know, Kurt Warner. I mean, that's what he said. Right. He gets, but I didn't want to get up there and think about a thousand different things pre-snap. He goes, I just want to, I want to know my system inside and out. And then I just see and react. And, yeah. um, 
you know, and so you're right. I mean, I, I think definitely the challenge is, you know, being able to put your, you know, you, you got to have a belief, you got to have a philosophy, right? I mean, you got to stand mm-hmm. on something, um, but still being able to adapt within that, you know, to, to play to the strengths of you guys. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about um, Manny Wilkins sort of at the end of his career at ASU and, you know, what, what, what you guys were able to do with uh, Likens as a coordinator and the offense and, the, you know, you guys had some some big weapons, of course, at the time, Nikhil Harry, Brandon Ayuk, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What was yeah, that like? And, yeah, you know, Manny was awesome. I mean, because, again, I, you know, I was a big part of, you know, Likens gave me a lot of responsibility with the quarterback room, and I was only like a year and a half older than Manny was, you know. I mean, and he had been through at that point, I think, four offensive coordinators. I mean, you know, he had really been through a lot in, in five years. And, um you know, so his ability just to sit, like put his ego aside and, and, you know, and just really dive into what we were doing. He was awesome to coach. And, um, you know, and I, I think he enjoyed the freedom of, of Lycan's offense, which is playing fast and, you know, a lot of RPOs and hand signals. And, you know, I think it's a very fun quarterback friendly uh, offense. And, um, you know, and he did well with it. Now, you know, it definitely helps. You have Nikhil and, and BA and some of those guys to throw to. Uh, but he was great, man, just ultra competitive, you know, and that's what I loved about Manny is, you know, you say what you want. Uh, that dude was so competitive. And I know he took some some slack, uh, you know, on the sidelines. He'd get fired up, but he was just he was competitive, man. He wanted to yeah. win. And, um, you know, so I, I respected him so much for that. And and, um, you know, and it was good. We I, I played therapist and counselor at times with Manny. I'm sure that, that's part of the job. But um, no, he he was great, man. I, I really enjoyed that year. All right. You talked a little bit about kind of Jaden Daniels. Let's move forward to his the beginning of the Jaden Daniels era. If we'd like to call it he had such a great freshman year. He had he, fewest interceptions in the Pac-12, led multiple comeback wins in the fourth quarter. He had a great pairing with Brandon Ayuk. What did you think about the team's offense that year and and how Jaden played specifically and kind of what his potential looked like in terms of just in the college game and then even beyond that? Yeah, you know, the the beauty of that system, and I don't know if this has been documented or not, but, you know, each receiver actually had an individual signaler. I mean, so – they would get the formation and then the route they're running. So they don't even know what the play is. They just know, hey, it's, you know, doubles left and I have a slant, you know. And so, you know, and, and I know there's plenty of uh, thoughts on that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it really it takes it, it, it takes a lot of thinking out of the whole operation. And that, well, that was the thinking behind it, right? Like, like Likens comes from the air raid simple system. And, and that's what it was. You know, their thought was, hey, we can we can take a guy off the streets or from Juco that runs a four three and he can play in our system because we're telling them where to line up. And you this is your route. Play fast. And so I think the simplicity of that really took a lot off Jaden, too, um, because there wasn't a lot of pre snap thinking and kill packages. And I mean, it was very simple, man. I mean, he'd get the play. He would tell the line, the call and, and you played within the system, you know, and, and it allowed him to play fast and play free again, because there wasn't a lot of pre-snap uh, thinking and uh, you know, and he had a great year. I mean, he uh, you know, again, we talk about it's a player's game, you know, and you have a guy like Brandon and I, uh, it takes, it takes a lot of, of pressure off of you, you know, and you have that security blanket, but um, again, the, the system was good for him and uh, that there wasn't a lot of thinking. I think he was confident. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go. But 
man, more than anything, if you're, if you're confident in what you're doing, convicted in where you're throwing the ball, um, that's more than anything makes a huge difference. And I think more than anything, he was confident in the system because it was so simple and allowed him to play fast and, and utilize his athleticism, you know, and, and, um, and the freedom within that w- was, was perfect for him. I thought, you know, when Jaden, uh, came into ASU his freshman year in the spring as an early enrollee, he didn't have any interceptions in an 11 on 11 period until the spring game, like the very end, it was like a fourth down play or something like that. Like a, like a, you know, almost like a Hail Mary situation. And I had never seen anything like that in all my years covering ASU, a quarterback to be that, to look that good that early and have that sort of a confidence. And I think absolutely in, in retrospect, a lot of that was uh, predicated on the user friendliness of Rob Likens' offense and being able to just go out there and let guys feel good about what they're trying to do and understand it more easily. Um, and so it, and then he had a lot of success building into his freshman year. I and mean, everybody kind of knows going to Michigan State and doing what you're doing on the road, come back, uh, you know, fourth quarter huge drives that game, uh, I think Washington state, which was the HBO game, um, and, and others. And it was just, it, at the time it sort of felt like, okay, this guy is setting up to do some really special things at ASU. And there was like all this talk, even after his freshman year about him being in the Heisman consideration. Right. And, and yeah, okay. I left and they didn't have maybe quite as good of a number one, uh, receiver. I still think that some of the guys that they had were capable of being really productive, like a Ricky Pearsall, especially. But um, Herm Edwards decided that he wanted to go in a different direction with his offensive staff. And that sort of ushered in Zach Hill and, and kind of everything that came along with that. And so, and that's, as you said earlier, it's very sort of programmatic, you know, systematic in terms of what he wanted to do and what had been used to doing at Boise, but yet there was still a lot of conversations about, Hey, we still got to build it around Jaden. And the 2020 year was so weird because of COVID you only play a four game schedule. There was a month between USC and UCLA. And I know a lot of people got sick and there were all kinds of issues. And then you go out and you just dismantle Oregon state and Arizona. Right. And, And, so that had to feel really good at the end of the year about kind of where things were at and the trajectory, what would be possible when you kind of got on the other side of COVID. But were there any sort of indications, Trey, in that 2020 year that maybe things weren't, you know, uh, quite as good as they may have appeared with Daniels and Zach Hill and the offense and what kind of needed to happen to maximize everything going into the following year. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you talk about the past game, it's just, there's so many layers to it, you know, like the easy thing to say is like, Hey, the quarterback's got to put it on them, you know, but, but there's so many layers to the, is, is the receiver at the right route depth? You know, there's, there's receiver conversions in this offense, right? So for certain coverages, they're going to convert and you've got to trust that they're going to do their job. And, you know, you've got the, the protection piece of it, you know, now you've got longer developing routes. Well, now you've got to be comfortable sitting in the pocket. You know, it's the ball's not going to get out as quick. And, um, you know, and then again, the pre-snap, you know, you're spending a lot of energy on, okay, what are they doing? Right. Because we have to adjust to that based on a kill package or whatever it might be. 
And so I think you lose a little bit of your like conviction. And, and I know where this guy's going to be and I can throw it on time because I can try to trust that. And so, you know, yeah, it was, it was challenging, you know, for, again, for many reasons. And so I just, I felt like we never truly clicked in terms of all those pieces gelling together. You know, there would be high spots, um, you know, where a certain scheme would work and it would hit. Um, but consistently, again, you know, you got to have the, the right route depth. You've got to, I mean, all those things, the progression pieces of it, um, they've got to be intact. And so, again, the COVID year was so hard. I mean, heck, you, you didn't even know if your starters are going to be available on the game. You know, there's just so many things going on. Um, you know, and then another piece of it, too, that I don't think gets talked about is, you know, Zach Hill gets hired as the offensive coordinator and his assistants were already hired. And right. so that's a huge piece of it, man. Like when you're an offensive coordinator, I know if I'm a coordinator, I want guys working with me that I, that I know that know my system that I trust, you know, and like, that's a huge piece of it. And, um, you know, so he gets there with a new receivers coach that really hadn't, I don't think had been a position coach in college, you know, a new tight ends coach hadn't been a position coach, um, you know, and never worked with Dave Christensen before, you know, so, I mean, these are all new pieces, man. And so, when you talk about, like we talked about the communication piece earlier, you know, it's, it's hard enough to communicate and, and get the players on the same track, but it, more importantly, the coaches better be on the same track, you know, and, and we agree on the route depth, we agree on this progression and, you know, and so there's a lot of those things behind the scenes that, you know, if you're not in alignment in, in your thinking, well, then how the heck are you going to, you know, get your players to buy into it, you know? And I love like James Franklin from at Penn state always says, we got to sing the same song and sing it to the same tune. And, uh, and, and that's so true, man. And, and so that's, I think that it may be a piece that maybe hasn't been discussed uh, as much, but I think that plays a huge role too. You know, when you talk about all the variables of the past game, uh, that's certainly a, you know, a, a piece of it. Did that have the ability to sort of, um, be a little bit deceptive or mask some, some potential longer developing issues or, or because obviously you, you can't meet the way that you normally or meet, want to meet a lot of stuff. Zoom, you only play the four games. You have the, all the staff members that you're trying to get on the same page and up to speed on what you're doing. You have a quarterback who's running it for the first time and it's, it's a more complex system. So when and then you have the two blowout wins to end the season in a four game schedule so when you layer all that stuff on top of each other did it make it to where it maybe some of the challenges were not fully appreciated or understood to, to the degree that they otherwise maybe would have been had you had a normal type of a 2020 season that then had to spillover effect on on last year yeah, I think so. And obviously, I mean, it's hard to say, but, you know, I, I definitely think that played a role in it. Um, like you said, you know, because you you got to remember it was a complete 180 from what these guys were used to. Right. I mean, the Rob Likens, super simple, you know, in our meetings, it was very basic stuff, you know. And again, the, the motto was just play fast. Right. And we're just going to we, we know what we're going to do. We're going to play fast and just be confident. Right. Versus now, you know, really Zach Hill bringing in the Boise State motto, you know, uh, operation. And you talk about detailed, man. I mean, it, it is impressive. <laughs> like I remember one of our first staff meetings, offensive staff meetings, Zach, you know, Zach's up there and, and we're looking at one of the PowerPoint slides that we were going to show the players the next day. And, you know, and, and he says, you know, ch check that orange is a little lighter shade than that other orange. You know, I, I, <laughs> that's the level of detail, man, that these guys like, and we used to joke about it, but that's just how they are, man. So when you talk about how different, 
of a, you know, of an organization and operation of everything we did, not just the scheme, but just from a day to day. I mean, the playbooks they got and the detail and, and everything. And now you factor in teaching all of that largely through Zoom, you know, again, with different coaches that they're trying to learn it too, you know? And so, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it, there's a lot of that. And again, and I, I don't want to make just an excuse and say, if it wasn't for COVID, we would have been, you know, in the college football playoffs, you know, but, but that definitely is a factor, um, you know, and we just, again, I think the, the past game, we just never could truly get on the same page uh, again with all the different variables, you know, that we've, that we've talked about. Well, let me ask you this because um, there were very clearly a, a lot of procedural problems last year, offensively. Um, it was 13 penalties, I think in the first game of the year. Uh, then you go to BYU and you had, um, you know, you, I know that you, we can talk about this, but you basically called the defense, the offense differently than all your other games because of the, the crowd environment. So Jaden was having to read off a wristband and communicate everything. You ended up not getting flip calls. So the formation was inverted. Um, you know, you had guys being turning the wrong way with handoffs. You had guys that were not at the line of scrimmage who were supposed to be receivers because they were in the wrong sides or wrong places. And then on top of that, there was the whole um, silent snapping uh, issue, which, you know, seemed like the team wasn't really prepared to go to a different type of, of snapping procedure, or at least didn't, didn't, didn't choose to go to a different kind of snapping procedure. And then that didn't work. And then you sort, and then it kind of <laughs> reverted back. You're bringing back PTSD, man. I'm sorry, but, but I got I that was a game that ASU should have easily won and was much better than BYU and totally self-inflicted, prevented that from, from happening largely due to operational issues that maybe hadn't been fully appreciated um, that also were sort of a thematic of the season of being a heavily penalized offensive team. So like, what do you think, I mean, am I wrong about any of that? And, and what do you think, what were your, what was your perspective about what contributed to all that happening? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of layers of that. But I mean, again, you, you mentioned. Even take your time, point. Trey, take your time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I need a, bringing up the, the BYU game, I, I need a, a case of Miller Lite or, or whatever your, your choice is. But um yeah, I mean, you know, you you just talk about the pre-snap alone and just cadences, right? So, you know, the year before with with Lycans, you know, we went on one cadence the entire year. I mean, it was literally, you know, a clap. I mean, it, that, it was that the entire year. You know, and then now, you know, again, moving forward into the Zach Hill, you know, there's multiple cadences. I mean, you can go on one, two, you know, a quick count. You know, there's there's so many moving pieces to it. The shifts and motions, the, you know, the kill packages. So pre-snap alone, I mean, we, you know, again, we, we would make mistakes on air, right? Because there's just so many moving pieces. And so that's when you talk about, and I remember Herm used to say all the time, if, you know, in, in old Herm fashion, you know, if we can't beat air, I mean, we, we got no shot, you know? And, and, but he was, you know, and there's, there's <laughs> with that, you know, like, like, you know, so there, again, there was just, there were so many pre-snap things and, you know, really the BYU was one that I think as a coach, and again, this is on me too. I'm not, I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm as guilty as anyone, you know, where you just feel terrible because the worst feeling as a coach is when you feel like you didn't give the, the players a chance to succeed, right? Like you didn't put them in the best chance to be successful. 
And, um, you know, we knew going up there was going to be a hostile environment. It was going to be loud, um, you know, and we're, we, we're still a lot of shifts and motions and utilizing cadence and, and, you know, and that's where it just, it really unraveled on us. And, um, you know, so again, I, there's, there's a lot of layers to it, like I said, but I think just, you know, talking about the scheme and, and cadence, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and then I, I think you can bring in recruiting into that. Um, you know, I think just like the NFL does, when, when you bring in a guy, you're not just bringing the, the top top player always. It's how does he fit in our scheme, right? And so I think that's a, a really important piece that I think gets overlooked at times is are the guys we are recruiting fit for this scheme, right? And that's where when you have transition with coaching, there's kind of that disconnect of, okay, well, we've got players that that came in here and yeah, they're super fast and they fit the up-tempo offense because, you know, they're getting the hand signal to run the play and they can just play fast. Well, now, you know, we're doing something completely different than what this guy was brought in to do, you know? And again, now you can go back to the argument of, okay, well, should you adapt your offense to those guys right. or should you try to morph that into your philosophy and bring in guys to fit that, the philosophy you want to bring in, um, you know, which I'm sure you can make an argument for both. Um, so I think that was the toughest transition piece, you know, is you got, you got guys that that were brought in for one thing. We're trying to establish this new operation, this new scheme. Um, and so there was a little disconnect there, you know, again, with just the pre-snap, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that can, we can't even get the ball snapped, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, in that regard for, I mean, one last question on that, on that BYU game, just with practices kind of leading up to that and, and changing to that silent count. I mean, what did it look like in practice? Did you guys feel like you were kind of ready to go and kind of where did that disconnect come from if it felt like it was good to go in practice? Yeah. I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty always, <laughs> obviously it's easier to say now, but um you know, we went to the wristband because I think there was a guy on the BYU staff that had worked with Zach. Yeah. And so then you get back into my my first year at ASU, right? You got some some nerd up there stealing signals and you worry about that. Tyson uh, McDaniel was on the BYU staff. Tyson McDaniel. Was it, was it Tyson? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's been such, that feels like 12 years ago, but. Um, so that was right. a concern. That was, that, exactly. was that he'd be able to steal your signals from the sideline. Correct. Which really in theory, you know, we, we had changed a lot of signals and, and the, the stuff we ran a ton of, we had multiple signals for, you know, so I, I think we, we kind of. Overcomplicated we, it. We overcomplicated it a little bit, you know, and, and again, I'm not pointing fingers and we're all, we're all involved in that. That's not yeah. pointing fingers for anyone, but. Um, you know, so there was that. And so we, we had, again, we had changed our entire pre-snap operation, you know, based on that, which is a big deal. I mean, going, especially going into a hostile environment, um, you know, so I think that was a big piece of it, just the routine, you know, there's, you kind of get into a rhythm pre-snap of, you know, of doing a, a certain way. And so when you alter that, that was, that was a big deal. A lot um, of that though, a lot of that though, Trey has to, you know, partly kind of come down to what you perceive your quarterback to be able to do even if your quarterback hadn't necessarily practiced doing a lot of that in the past. And then that really didn't happen. And one of the other things that I took from last season was unusual uh, was it was like Zach Hill had the back issue or whatever. And so he switched from being on the, on the, the field to in the press box. I think it was UCLA. 
But then I, I couldn't keep straight which one of you would be on the field and which one of you would be in the press box in subsequent games. And there was more of a change of that than any season that I had covered in the past. And I, and everything, you know, we haven't talked about this, but I had heard that that had a lot to do with trying to help Jaden be as comfortable as he could be on the sideline or feel like you guys were able to see everything the way that you wanted to, especially Zach getting the, 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 the full sort of feeling of what was going on on the sideline or whatever. So what, what did you make about all of that? And, and how much of that was sort of in service of trying to, uh, you know, help your, your passing game as much as possible or your, or your procedural issues? Yeah. And, you know, and that really goes back to what we talked about with your staff, right? So like Zach had always called games from the box. And then now, because he has this new staff that, you know, he's like, eh, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm delivering the message I want to deliver on the sideline. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you worked with a guy for six years, you can trust it. Like, Hey, I, I know he's thinking what I'm thinking. He can be the voice on the field. I'm good. Right. And he can be up in the box calling plays. Well, now, you know, you got a new staff, you got to change that. So where, you know, the, the voice is the, the message is coming from you. And so now, you know, that it gets more difficult, right? Because now you're calling plays from the field. And so you're not going to always see things as clear as when you're in the box, right? You're, you're up there and, you know, the all 22 is, is nice and clear, you know? And so I think that's what he was kind of back and forth on, on, okay, what, you know, do I want to be on the field to make sure, you know, the message that's getting delivered to the players is coming from me, right? Which if I'm a coordinator, that makes total sense, right? You want to make sure we're on the same page here versus, Okay, or do I want to be in the box where I can see the game clear? Like I can see coverage cleanly and, you know, and and uh, I think he could get into a little more rhythm in, in his play calls. So, you know, again, I, I haven't been in that position, so I don't want to speak for him, you know, but I'm, I'm sure he just, you know, kind of had that internal battle of like, what, what do I pick over the other, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and, and things were going well. I mean, UCLA game was was really good. Um, and then after after that, who did we play after UCLA? It was um, – I don't remember. God, I have to look, but I think we had another good game. And then, and then obviously Utah, you know, was the, yeah. Oh, Stanford. Right. So we had UCLA play oh, yeah. well, Stanford, we win, you know, Utah, we have a great first half, right. We're feeling good about it. Um, you know, and then we all know what that turned into and, you know, and then, so he comes back down on the field, you know, so it was just, man, I just feel like we, we just couldn't get in the rhythm that way. But, but again, just to kind of give you insight of what was going through Zach's head, you know, of kind of why, you know, the pros and cons of, of either being on the field versus being in the box. And, and then it, it kind of seemed like there was a disconnect between Daniels and Zach Hill that maybe festered or maybe potentially even kind of got worse as things time kind of went on. I, maybe I'm wrong about that, but, you know, in, in we've seen comments by uh, James mom, Regina, um, she's talked about it, you know, even, even kind of recently, um, with, on this, on Twitter space with LSU fans. And she, she had spoken with me, um, you know, about it a decent amount kind of at the time and really into March when she, it was ironic. She was telling me she, she wanted ASU fans to let, let Jaden go and it's his time at ASU be done. And then she was kind of talking about ASU again, you know, months later, which, but, um, it, my my view of it when I when I kind of and I watched a lot of the all 22 because I shoot from the press box like a goober um, video and everything is I, I just didn't think I, I thought that a lot of times Zach Hill had the right play call for the right situation and it didn't work for whatever reason but a lot of it was 
if Jaden had bought more time in the pocket, stepped up an extra second or two, or he had seen um, an opportunity to throw someone open who was going to be coming open um, more than likely, um, or that he went through the proper progression, you know, that there would have been more, uh, more potency in the passing attack last season. And that isn't to say in any kind of a way that, the receivers didn't weren't limiting in 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 some ways, and, and they had more complex assignments, and they were responsible for other things. Maybe didn't happen. I thought, um, you know, scramble drill a lot of times didn't really work out the way that it would have probably been um, most beneficial for the team. And then, of course, there were at times some pr protection issues, although I didn't think it was actually that bad overall. Um, the protection of, of that he was afforded. Um, and really, I think that maybe it seemed to me like there was just confidence issues and also his historical tendency to be able to successfully go run for first downs in third down situations. Oh, it's man coverage. I can go and get the first down. I think that a lot of, a lot of that seemed to override certain things. So, and again, there's so many variables that go into all of this, but what was yeah. your kind of pers perspective on some of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess the Regina thing, that's that's for another time, again, with a case of Miller Lights. We should sponsor this podcast with Miller Lite. I don't know if it already is, but... Uh, Ethan's uh, on it. Yeah, Ethan, yeah, maybe we can get a sponsorship deal there. Um, so aside from that, um, you know, I, I think you hit on it with, with the confidence piece, you know. A, a good example of this was... You know, we again, because we at, we got to a point during the middle of the year, we're like, look, man, you know, what, what can we do to change? I mean, so we weren't just completely stubborn to like, hey, we're going to run our system. And if it sucks, it sucks. Like, no, we, we want to adapt and let's let's make this thing right. And, you know, so we even went back to his freshman year, you know, and, and took a couple of, of um, some more plays that, you know, he felt really good about that he's been successful uh, in, in doing. And, uh, you know, so a good example of that is, is we call a play at Oregon State, you know, it's, it's the exact play that he had a ton of success with his, his freshman year, um, you know, a simple, it was kind of a rub route to the field, uh, you know, a very simple out route to the field. And, uh, you know, and he's wide open at Oregon State, and he just doesn't throw it, right? He just doesn't throw it. And, and so again, I think that just, it, it kind of hit me where I was like, it's just a confidence deal, man. It's not, we can talk about scheme, we can talk about, but it's just, again, I go back to if you're not confident and convicted in, in throwing, right. And I've been there as a, as a player, like I've been sure. back in that pocket. And I remember my freshman year, I'm playing at Utah or I, and then I was playing at Notre Dame against Manti Teo. And I'm like, what in the world am I doing? Right. But when you're not convicted in what you're doing, like that takes a toll on you, man. <laughs> like actually the Manti Teo documentary is a prime example of that completely different situation, but in terms of the mental, right. Like, like he said, when he got to the NFL, man, he just didn't have that, that same stuff to him, you know, he's, right. he's questioning himself. He's, you yeah. know, he's back in the pocket. He's like, eh, it, you know, is he open? I, I don't, you know, instead of just ripping it, you know? And so I, I think that was a big piece of it, man. It just got to the point where the, we just kind of lost that, that conviction, that confidence, you know? And, um, you know, I mean, you go back, like I, I made a cut up of all his explosive passes his freshman year and not one of them was a progression. Right. Like, think about that. I mean, he, you know, he had a lot of explosive passes. I mean, he had a, you know, really good, good year. Right. Not one of them was a progression. It was either an RPO. Right. So it's a good look, you know, we're running the ball, but it's a good look one-on-one -on -one and he's going to throw it. Right. Or it was a play action where it's basically one guy, right. Or, you know, yeah. a, we're getting him out of the pocket and he's got one guy. 
Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that that's what he was good at, you know, and, mm-hmm. and again, I, and, you know, I know we can go back and forth on the scheme and all that, but it just, it got to a point where we had just lost that conviction and that confidence. Um, yeah. But there and, is, yeah. but Trey, there, there is a benefit though to trying to develop any quarterback, including Jaden in all of these ways, because those are the things that you're going to be asked to do at the next level. And also it's beneficial to be able to show that you can do those things on film, right? Because if in 2019, nothing is progression read, right? And you're having plenty of explosives. If that's what your career is, then NFL scouts go, okay, but can he do X, Y, and Z? We don't know, right? And it seems like Zach Hill was clearly trying to bring a lot to the table that would enhance what what Jaden, would benefit Jaden in the long run. So that's where it's like, if sure, if it's gonna, if it's gonna be able to work without that, okay, great. But it, but if you can do it and you can involve all your players, including your quarterback, cool. But if then you don't have confidence, it doesn't matter how good the scheme is to be able to attack anyone. Correct. No, spot on. And that again, that yeah, that's why Zach was brought in, right? Like our the selling point was, hey, we're going to run a system that's going to develop you mentally and physically as a quarterback just like you said, to when it's time to take the next step, you've checked all those boxes, right? And when we've got Marvin Lewis was the best, you know, like resource you can have in a building, right? And Marvin's telling him like, hey, right. if you want to play at the next level, you've got to do these things that we're doing, right? That Zach is asking you to do. So like the things that Zach is asking you to do isn't some newfound, like what the heck is he thinking? I mean, this is trying right. to develop you for the next level, right? Yeah. And you know, and then, you know, like we've talked about before, you know, then you get into that debate of developing kids for the next level versus winning games now, right? Like mm-hmm. what is going to give us the best chance to win games now, or else they're going to be developed for a new staff, right? Like it's, I know that's kind of a harsh way to put it, but that's reality. And so I think that's kind of the, the, the back and forth you get into, you know, of like, Hey, we're, we're trying to develop him and, and rightfully so. And Zach gave him every resource he could, um, to take those steps, you know, and then it's just, again, it, but it's, we go back to, okay, well, we still got to do what he's things he's good at, you know? So it's just, it's that back and forth. Were the, the, any sort of uh, inconsistencies and in, in accuracy, do you think that was related more to confidence or more to technique, you know, getting your foot to the target, not short arm, arming throws, et cetera? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it was, again, it was more, I think it was more mental than, than physical. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, again, when you're not convicted and have confidence in where you're throwing it, man, it's tough. And when, yeah. when, you know, if you've got three, if you got three guys running the same route and that route is at three different depths or three different speeds or like, that's tough, you know, like you want to be able to, to know, Hey, when he's got a 15 yard out, I know where he's going to be and I can throw it on time. But if three guys run it three different ways, like, that's hard, man. <laughs> you know, that's hard for a quarterback. And so, and again, I'm not right. trying to make excuses for anyone, uh, but you know, that's just the reality of playing that position. Again, all the, the different variables you you talk about. All right. So we've now, we've talked about the past and kind of everything that you've worked throughout your time at ASU and with all the information you've given us, there's probably no one better to talk to about the current team than you just to kind of talk about the current offense and the team that that's going out there. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Well, you haven't worked with either of them. There is a new offensive coordinator in Glenn Thomas and a new quarterback in Emory Jones. So from what you've seen and from your perspective 
What are your early thoughts on both Glenn Thomas and Emory Jones and kind of what you think we might see from the offense this season? If you kind of can maybe describe the type of offense that you think might be run and then maybe what kind of challenges that they might face going into the season. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about, man. I really do. I mean, it took one meeting with with Glenn. You know, our, we had our first offensive staff meeting, and you can tell right away. I mean, that dude knows football. Like, I mean, he can he knows all eleven positions on the field. I mean, he can talk offensive line play to the receivers, tight end. I mean, he knows football inside and out. And so that was one thing that was really impressive. Um, and, you know, it's super detailed. I mean, you know, just going through spring ball with them and the preparation piece he gives the, the quarterbacks. And um, he, so I think there's a lot, to, you know, to be excited about, um, you know, in, in his development, you know, his his eagerness to develop the guys. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be some good RPO elements to it, uh, some ways to get the quarterbacks in rhythm, uh, which I think is really important. Um, you know, so again, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with Glenn. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, I haven't spent a whole lot of time with Emory. Um, but you know, the, the physical pieces are exciting. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, he's got a strong arm. He can move, he can create with his feet. Um, you know, and I know Glenn will, will find, uh, creative ways to utilize that. Um, you know, and then I think it's gonna be excited to, to see guys step up outside, you know, that's got a lot of receivers that, that are in the mix and, um, you know, see who steps up. Um, you know, I, I in spring ball, I was so impressed with the running backs. I mean, I think X and, and Nagata, I mean, I think those guys are ready for a huge year. I really do. And totally um, agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then the offensive line is exciting. I mean, you got, you got some transfers and you got some new pieces there, but you know, those guys are going to have a chance to step up and you got some, some older transfers that, you know, this is their last go, <laughs> you know? And, and um, so, you know, I think, you know, anytime, and, and this, this is really for, for all teams, man, with, with how the transfer portal is now, you know, you, you look at a team like USC, like the ability to get a bunch of transfers to buy in and be on the same page in a small amount of time, like that's, a, that's the challenge, right? And so I think, you know, within that, man, you got to be simple. And I haven't looked at any pieces yet, but I'm sure Glenn Thomas has said, we've got to find ways to simplify and play fast. Like, I, I don't know that. I don't know if he said that, but that's, that's the typical coach talk because it's real, man. Like you've got to, and it's, it's no different with ASU. You know, you, you've got some new pieces, Emory's coming in, new receivers, you know, new running backs, you know, how can we, how can we simplify play fast and, and you know, and let guys step up. This is definitely not an offense like a Norvell offense or like a Rob Likens offense. It's much more somewhere, you know, between um, Billy Napier and a Zach Hill type of an offense, I, I would say. Right. I mean, they're, they have the ability to huddle quite a bit. They will probably huddle quite a bit. They're going to play a lot of 12 personnel when they feel like it's you know, warranted. Um, they'll play a lot of 11. They'll be under center quite a bit. There's a lot of options to get the quarterback kind of on the move with some, with some options, take advantage of, of uh, his athleticism, probably get some slips and things like that um, in, in, into tight ends and fullbacks and, and whatnot. And so um, I guess, I guess what we see, well, you know, just from a sort of a geeky offensive perspective, my, 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 I was very interested by what Utah did last year offensively and how Utah has been able to do that in a way that's sort of against the grain of a lot of uh, Pac-12 offenses, getting tight ends on the perimeter, uh, creating mismatches, presenting 
the, the, the challenge for a defense of whether they're going to be in base or nickel personnel groupings, because how are you going to cover, you know, guys who line up all over the place without substituting. And, you know, I don't know, like we have seen some signs that maybe Glenn Thomas has, will try to do some of those things with the Messiah Swinson and Jalen Conyers, or would like to be able to, if those guys develop to that degree. But so what do you think about just sort of all of that sort of offensive uh, components with the personnel that you know ASU to have. Yeah, no doubt, and and that's what's exciting. Like you mentioned, with with Glenn's background in the NFL, you know, so he, you know he has that pedigree of the play actions, the you know the boots, the you know that NFL. Like you you think about Matt Ryan at the Falcons, right? Like that's that's the system Glenn knows, and so you know right. he, he he has that bank to go into, um, you know, and then has the college bank of of you know Baylor, uh, even UNLV last year. You know the RPO kind of collegey, you know, quick throws, getting into rhythm. Right. Um, so he has he has the the toolkit, you know, of NFL college, you know, all those components. And really, it's it's like we talked about this whole podcast. Right. It's it's what do we morph that into to fit our, our personnel? Right. And so, like you said, you know, we, they they have some really big t- athletic tight ends, you know, so I'm sure he's going to find ways to utilize those guys. Um, you know, he's got a mobile quarterback, you know, how, how do we find ways to get him on the perimeter and simplify, you know, his mental part. So, um, you know, in, in the beauty of that, man, it's always an ongoing process, right? Like we might get into week three and they think, you know, one thing they thought they were going to be good at, they're like, yeah, maybe we're not as good at that as we thought. So let's, let's tweak this a little bit, right? It, it's an ongoing deal. Um, but, but I am excited to see kind of what, what do they lean their hat on? Um, I, I do love, again, with, with the running backs they have, I think the running game, they can really lean on that, which opens up the play action, the boot game. Um, you know, and again, going back to his Falcon days, he's going to have a ton of, uh, you know, a bank to go into in, in that world. So, I, again, that, that's why I'm really excited, uh, you know, for what they're going to do. I, again, I think you lean on the run game, man. You find easy ways to, to get Emory some completions early. Um, you know, and then, and then take some explosive shots off the play action. And, and again, and then it's, it's going to be on some receivers to step up, you know, and they've got a good uh, coach and Bobby Wade and um, you know, and that's, it'll be a great opportunity to see who can, uh, who can, can take it and run with it. One more question uh, for your crystal ball uh, mm-hmm. here, Trey. Um, it, when you have a new coordinator and a new quarterback, is that like a reset button on some of the, procedural stuff because what you're doing is going to be quite a bit different and who the people are responsible will be quite a bit different or is it possible that their procedural problems could continue because maybe they are cultural or systemic in nature in terms of what they're doing in terms of their habits or the discipline from a top-down standpoint with with Herm Edwards do you have any sort of expectation on that for the season because it's going to be a critical component about whether they can play to their potential on offense. Yeah. And again, that's where I think, you know, I think Glenn will understanding that, you know, with all the new components, isn't going to try to put in too much, you know, to, to put too much on their plate pre-snap. You know, I think, again, I, I think he'll find ways to simplify, um, you know, and I know he has some, you know, whether it's some kill packages or whatever. Uh, but again, finding ways to simplify um, and, and not, not just playing against yourselves pre-snap. You know, I've, I've been there where, man, it feels like just to get the ball snapped, you know, like just to have the right shift in motion and everyone gets off at the right time on the cadence. Heck, that's that's a battle in itself. You know, now you've got to 
now you've got to execute a play, you know, against the defense, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot. And so I, I do, I think the more you can simplify that and uh, you know, and put more of your focus on executing the play, you know, and not having to play against yourself all the time. Um, I, I think they'll do that. I do. I, and I think, um, you know, and they've got some, some veteran guys, you know, some case hatches, Ladarius Henderson's that's what really excites me about this team too. Now is, is, you know, I know it sounds crazy to say, I think there's, there's less distractions within that, that building than there's been in a while. And I know that sounds crazy with everything that's going on, but the leadership in there, you know, the Kyle Solis, the, again, Jordan Clarks, Ladarius, they, they've got some good core pieces um, that I think if, if they can really, you know, rally the troops and play as one, I, I think there's, there's some things to be excited about. I really do. Other, other people have, it's been a pretty consistent theme that's been stated by a lot of players and even coaches in recent weeks. So, you know, you're echoing that perspective. No, I was just I was just going to say like that, you know, that's such a big piece of it, man. Again, especially with the transfer portal and, and everything that's going on in, in today's world, it's like you're still the culture piece of it, you know, and getting guys to buy in and play as one. And, you know, and that's why I think you see teams like Utah. They're so successful every year, man, because they just those guys play as one. And I think there's there's power in that. And if if those leaders in that locker room can can get that done, that's I, I think there's there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And and knowing those guys like Kyle Soley and, and some of those guys that seem like they've been around for, for 12 years, um, you know, it, it, it makes me excited. It really does. And then one, one last question for mine. We, we've talked uh, about quarterbacks throughout. You have quarterback experience yourself. So when you do look at kind of the current roster and you talk about how you're super excited about the running backs and and it looks like there'll be a good running game. And then we talk about kind of inexperienced wide receivers if you're Emory Jones and, and you are in that situation and you're looking at this ASU roster as it's currently constructed, what do you think makes Emory Jones come to ASU and want to be a part of that offense? Yeah, I think, you know, starting from the top, right? Like you, you see her Marvin, like that, you know, that NFL uh, caliber coaches, I think that's enticing, um, you know, and then just a, a chance to play in the Pac-12 start right away and and run with it you know I mean you see so many guys that that go to these other schools and um you know you know they believe in themselves to go somewhere else but they get in a battle and then they end up not even playing and now it's like well shoot I'm at this nice school or whatever I'm not even playing you know and so I think that was enticing to Emory like hey man I come here and given the situation was pretty confident you know that that he could play early and start and and accomplish all the things he wants to accomplish for the future um, you know, in, in doing in a, in a wide open conference, you know, I mean, again, he's coming from, from extremely high level football and I'm sure he, he's confident in himself that he can come in this conference and, and be successful, you know, and, and I'm sure he has future aspirations. And so this could be a great step in, in getting that done. A lot of, a lot of great information on the podcast that you, uh, talked throughout with us today. Uh, we, Talked a little bit about just kind of what you were going to do with Source. We're super excited to have all those different analysis and different things like that. We're definitely hoping to get you back on some of these podcasts as well. But the main thing for everyone listening to this podcast is just be on the lookout for more great content from Trey throughout the season. Also be on the lookout for some more content before and after ASU's first game against NAU on Thursday. We'll have preview content and post-game content as well. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And then, as I said earlier on the podcast, we do have those free and premium podcasts available for you to listen to. So we got a ton of content to get 
for the first game for Arizona State. But that's going to be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report Premium Podcast, a special edition. Thank you so much, Trey, for coming on today. Thanks for having me, man. Let's work on that Miller Lite uh, sponsor. Oh, for sure. I'm going to get on that as soon as we get off this call because that's, that's got to be here. I assume that's going to have to be a sponsorship for us to get you back on. So <laughs> we'll get working on that right away to make sure there's more great content from you on yeah. our podcast. But that'll be it for this special edition. Thanks, Trey, for coming on. It's been awesome. Great tons of content throughout the podcast. But for Chris Cartman and our special director, Anderson, I'll see you guys next time.